You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, this is the Locked On Jets podcast for Wednesday, July 21st, 2021. I'm your host, John B. from gangreennation.com, and today our episode is brought to you by the Locked On Fantasy Football Podcast. Winning your league begins with the right data. Vinny Iyer of the Sporting News provides you the edge you need in your fantasy football leagues. Locked On Fantasy Football is a daily podcast all year round, so your fantasy team never fails. Subscribe to the Locked On Fantasy Football Podcasts, where podcasts are found. And while you're doing that, subscribe to this show, Locked On Jets, where podcasts are found. This is also a daily podcast. We cover the New York Jets Monday through Friday with new episodes each day. If you subscribe to this show, we will deliver them to you as they are posted. And also give this show a five-star review if you enjoy it. That helps us out quite a bit. Today we have our weekly oh, I, Today we have our weekly mailbag show. Most weeks we try to do the mailbag on Wednesday. Some weeks it moves to a different day depending on schedule issues, but if you are new to this podcast, on most weeks we're going to do a weekly mailbag on Wednesday. Thanks to everybody who sent in questions. Our first question is from Timothy. Hi, John. Do you think the possible bankruptcy of Johnson & Johnson might impact the Jets, and if so, to what degree? I would love to know your thoughts. And Timothy, I'm glad you asked this question because this is a source of great speculation in the fan base. I've heard it from a lot of different people. And if you have not been following the news, I mean, you can look it up. The Johnson & Johnson company is having some issues. And I'm glad I'm able to address this because I can tell you this will have zero impact on the Jets. And the reason for that is that Woody Johnson and Chris Johnson have no involvement at this point with the Johnson & Johnson company outside of having the same name. Now, Woody and Chris's great-grandfather founded the company. It's a very famous company. You've probably heard of it. And their great-grandfather passed money down to his kids who passed it down to their kids who passed the money down to Woody and Chris. But the guys who own the Jets don't have any involvement with the company. What I would equate it to is if your great-grandfather owned a company that does not necessarily mean you would have any involvement with that particular company. It's kind of the same concept. So even though, yes, the family name is on the company, yes, there were relatives who founded the company, it doesn't impact things. The only thing, the only connection there is that the great-grandfather made money and passed it down, and you know Woody and Chris got the money from them, and Woody got the money to buy the Jets back in 2000. But there's no connection right now. There's, it's not... Nothing that happens with that company has anything to do with uh, Woody or Chris Johnson. So it's not going to impact the operation of the team. The team's not going to have any issues financially. Woody and Chris are not going to have to sell the team because of anything going on with Johnson & Johnson. Again, it, the, the family has a connection. The family has a history with the company, but they're not connected. So it's going to have zero impact with the team. So if you're following that story that's going on with the Johnson & Johnson company and it's you, it has nothing to do with what's going to happen with the Jets. Our next question, what are your thoughts about Marcus May's performance in week one last season versus the rest of the year? Why did the Jets move away from using him in a more Jamal Adams-like role the way they did, they did week one against Buffalo? Now, if you remember last season in week one against the Bills, May played close to the line quite a bit. The Jets were having him blitz, and he had a big game. He filled up the stat sheet. He had 10 tackles. He had 
two tackles for a loss. He had two, uh, in fact, not just two tackles for a loss, two sacks. He had two other hits on the quarterback, two passes defended, a forced fumble. He really filled up the stat sheet. And I think that that may have led to some unrealistic expectations. He played like Jamal Adams week one against Buffalo, but he's not Jamal Adams. And I don't think it was ever fair to expect him to perform the way Jamal Adams did. And while he did play that role very well in week one, what happened in the following weeks was not as good. I mean, week two against the 49ers, he was beaten in coverage for a couple touchdowns by Jordan Reed. And a lot of the analysis about the 2020 Jets and May's performance in particular is that once the Jets moved him into his more familiar role, playing deep more frequently, I think it was around the sixth game of this takeoff. And I mean, I guess the simple answer to the question is I think it's difficult to complain about the way the Jets utilized him last year. I mean, he was team MVP. Kind of tough to, to say the Jets used him incorrectly considering his level of performance. And I understand 2-14 and 14 team being the team MVP is not necessarily that indicative of you know great performance, but he played at a high level last year in a role that suited him, and I, I think there were other issues on the defense last year. I mean, let's be honest, Bradley McDougald was not as good as he was supposed to be. McDougald was kind of a throw-in in the Jamal Adams trade because the Jets needed a safety to, to replace Adams. We were near the beginning of training camp the Jets really did not have many options or much time to replace Adams and McDougald was expendable for Seattle because Adams was taking his spot in the lineup so the Jets got McDougald as kind of a throw in in that trade he had a history of being a pretty solid safety for the Seahawks and to be frank he was terrible with the Jets I mean he took bad angles he was not a sure tackler and when you have a guy like that in the back of your defense, it really hurts. And I think as much as anything, I'm not sure the Jets could trust Bradley McDougald as the last line of defense. Now, when you combine that with May being kind of inconsistent, yes, the great performance week one against Buffalo, but some shakier performances being closer to the line that followed, I think that the change was natural. You know, I, I think it was a move that made sense. And, you know, I go back to May's performance. I mean, I think it's very difficult to have many complaints about the way Marcus May played last year. Now, we're in a different system. We'll see how he fits in this year, although I think it is notable the Jets did franchise him. So obviously the Jets were not ready to move on from him this year. But you know, ultimately, I, I think it's t- tough to complain. I think that May did a very solid job last season, and I don't want to make it sound like he's only capable of playing deep because he's a, he's got he's a guy with some degree of versatility. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons the Jets drafted him in 2017 is they wanted, after they drafted Jamal Adams in the first round, they took May in the second round because they wanted guys with versatility, guys that who could line up in multiple places at the safety position. But you know, ultimately, I don't think what you saw from Marcus May week one is indicative of his levels of of his talent as a player. And that's not a knock on Marcus May. Jamal Adams might be the best safety in the NFL. Marcus May is not the best safety in the NFL, but he's a very solid guy and he's served the Jets well. And I think he served the Jets well, very, uh, very well last year in the back of their defense. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game. 
Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using promo code LOCKEDON. One word with no space, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. This is the Locked On Jets podcast on this Mailbag Wednesday. Our next question, what is your grade for the Jamal Adams trade one year later? I think it remains incomplete. I think there is still a lot that remains to be seen. In a deal like that, I think that there are two different aspects. Whenever you're trading a player for draft picks, the first is the theoretical value of the draft picks. And I think you have to give the Jets an A-plus for that, getting a pair of first-round picks and a third-round pick for Jamal Adams. A great player, you know, arguably one of the best defensive players in the NFL, but a guy who's a safety, a guy who was disgruntled, and a guy who Seattle was not able to give a long-term contract extension to, making it making it unclear how much longer he'll be with them to get a couple first-round picks. I mean, you could argue, looking at recent history, that's a quarterback-type return, or at least the kind of return Khalil Mack got. And at the time Khalil Mack was traded, I mean, with all due respect to Jamal Adams, Khalil Mack was a much more valuable player. But the more important part of the trade is what the Jets do with the draft picks. You know, that famous trade the Cowboys made when Jimmy Johnson was first hired. They traded Herschel Walker to Minnesota and got all kinds of draft picks. And they used the picks to draft players who ended up being core players on three teams that won the Super Bowl in Dallas. And Jimmy Johnson said it best. He said that the most important thing about that trade was picking the right players with the draft selections that they got. I mean, Johnson talked about a few years earlier how there was a trade involving another another great running back, Eric Dickerson, and it really ended up not helping the Rams, who traded Dickerson to the Colts, even though they got a lot of draft picks in return. Or, you know, you think back another trade involving the Rams. The Rams got three first-round picks in return from Washington in the RG3 trade in 2012 and in retrospect it's a trade that neither side really won you know rg3 after as great of a rookie season as any as i can remember got injured in the playoff game against seattle and his career was never the same after that spectacular rookie season but the rams really squandered the picks that they got in that deal so ultimately you know you can give the general manager credit for getting a lot of draft picks in return for a good player and that is important listen if the jets had taken a low ball offer like a second round pick and a you know a, a starting level player i mean i remember hearing people suggest the cowboys might give the jets a second round pick in michael gallup and if the jets had gotten that you should have been upset about that that would have been a terrible trade for the jets a pair of first round picks and a third round pick is an excellent return for Jamal Adams, but it's only theoretical value right now. Picks like that are only va- only provide value in theory. What's important is that you turn them into something actionable, that you turn them into players who actually help your team. Now, really, the first year's worth of picks, the first round pick and the third round pick, were traded to move up for Elijah Vera Tucker. So at this point, I think you'd almost say it's Adams for Elijah Vera Tucker plus the Seattle first round pick this year. So it's, it's essentially right now you could say it's like a two for one type deal. It's Vera Tucker and whatever player the Jets pick with the Seattle first round pick in 2022. And I don't really know how you judge that because Vera Tucker's never set foot on an NFL field yet. So you can't really judge him. And the other pick hasn't even been made yet. So I think it's still incomplete. I think the theoretical value the Jets got for Adams was great, but theoretical value doesn't win you games. 
players when you game. So the Jets need to turn that theoretical value into great players. And the opportunity is there for us to re- remember this trade is great. Listen, if you if the Jets are able to, if Vera Tucker ends up being a cornerstone player on this offensive line, you'll be very happy with that trade. And if they get another star level player next year, you know, it's a trade that we could remember as something that built the foundation for the next great Jets team. But until it happens, I think you have to be in wait and see mode. Next question. At this point, should it be concerning with the Jets that they have hardline stances for rookies when they're negotiating their rookie contracts with offset language? It's really annoying how we've turned what's supposed to be a streamlined process into something so difficult. I mean, if you like a guy so much, you pick him in the first round. Why are you concerned with the offset language? It's literally putting your money where your mouth is when you waive offset language. This has been around since Mike McCagden, so I'm guessing it's an ownership issue, which gives me one other extra thing to be angry with the Johnsons. Thoughts, is it just me? I think very well said. I think that the way the current NFL works, if your rookies are not in camp on time, I put 95% of the blame on the teams because the rookie wage scale essentially took most of the important negotiating things off the table. And now there are only a handful of things that need to be negotiated. One of them is offset language. And essentially that's if you cut a player before the end of his rookie contract and he signs with another team, do, do you still have to pay him? And it's kind of silly because the, the amount of money you're paying the guy is like a drop in the bucket when you're talking about the cap. It's one of those things where you're, you're essentially negotiating something that only comes into play if you cut a player before the end of his rookie contract. So why, if you're a team just get your guys at the camp. I mean, this is not the, this is not, these are not the days where you're negotiating whether a guy gets $50 million guaranteed money before he takes a snap in the NFL. That was worth negotiating over. The stuff that's going on now is kind of silly, but it's not just offset language. And I, here's what, here's what makes me feel like it might be ownership. Quinn and Williams was not in camp on time a couple of years ago when he was a rookie. And that was just, just an issue of when he was going to be paid some of his money. And it was essentially a big issue for Quinn and Williams because of like the way state taxes worked at that point, where if he got it on a certain schedule, he'd save a lot of money in, on his taxes, which is the, like the kind of thing you should do. I mean, it's not a big deal for the Jets. The Jets are paying the money either way, it, but it, it made a, it would have made a big deal for Quinn and Williams because if it was if it was paid at a certain on a certain schedule, his taxes would be way lower. It made a difference for Quinn and Williams, and that to me suggests that maybe it is ownership, but. It, just, just get these guys in on time. I mean, it's not, it's nothing we'll ever remember. You know, ultimately, how many of you remembered that Quinn and Williams issue? Probably not many. Now I do because I, you know, I focus on the Jets so much. But I just want to see these guys in the, in camp on time. I want to see them in training camp. I want to get excited about the season. We don't need any of this st- stuff hanging over our heads. And ultimately, look, these guys will get signed. They will end up in training camp. I'm not worried about that. Elijah Vera Tucker just agreed to his deal within the last 24 hours that we're recording this podcast. So, you know, it'll happen. I just wish it was less stressful. I've said this in other podcasts. I wish that the teams would just start. You know, these teams, when they sign the rookies, they always sign like the sixth round pick first. They sign the fourth round, the fifth round pick first. Those are the easy contracts. Save them for the end get the difficult ones out of the way first, you know, start negotiating the first round pick in May. So this is not an issue when you get to training camp, just figure it out then. And then nobody has to be stressed. Built Bar now has nine flavors along with the occasional limited time flavors. When you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're definitely passionate about their favorites. 
And if you haven't tried all the flavors, you can get a mixed box where you get two of each of the nine flavors. Not only are Built Bar flavors the best tasting, but they're healthy too. And if you go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your first order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15. It's one word with no space, L-O-C-K-E-D, number one, number five, for 15% off at BuiltBar, B-U-I-L-T-B-A-R.com. This is the Locked on Jets podcast on this Mailbag Wednesday. Our next question, how much preseason action would you like to see Zach Wilson get, considering he's the consensus number one quarterback and there is a lack of contact in practices? That's a very good question. I had to think about it for a bit, and it's a little tricky this year because the preseason is changing. You only have three preseason games this year opposed to the four that you've had in the past. And of course, that's because there are now 17 regular season games instead of the 16 that we've had in the past. I think it makes sense to cut down the preseason to three games because that first game was always kind of weird because nobody was really into it. You never really had the starters play much. You know, the second game, the starters started to get more playing time. You saw, saw them go into the second quarter. The third preseason game was the quote-unquote dress, dress rehearsal where starters frequently played into the second half. And then the fourth preseason game was where the backups played. It was the, Those were the guys battling for the roster spots. So now I'm guessing you'll probably have some scenario where you know, maybe you'll have like maybe you'll have like the, the starters get like a couple series in the first game. The second game will be the dress rehearsal where they'll maybe play into the third quarter. And then the last preseason game will be the backups battling for the final roster spots. I don't think there's any reason to do things out of the ordinary for the Jets. You know, I, I was thinking about this and the point about the lack of contact is a good one. But I think there are a couple of rebuttals to that is, first of all, Lack of contact comes into play more for the running game. You know, you can actually simulate the passing game because the coverages remain the same. You know, you you still have guys running the same route combinations. They're still playing coverage. You don't really need to tackle to play coverage in the NFL. So Wilson can still make some of the same reads. So that's one thing thing to consider. Another thing to consider is that even though there's limited contact in most practices in preseason, there still is some degree of contact, but the quarterback is completely off limits. You cannot touch the quarterback at these in these preseason practices. And that's not an NFL rule. At least I don't think it is. That's because teams don't want their quarterback taking hits. So, you know, if the quarterback taking a hit was that important, they'd allow it in practices. But they don't because I think the number one goal of training camp in preseason is to avoid injuries. And you know, with that in mind, I think it becomes a little bit trickier because if you want to play Wilson long, longer into preseason games than you normally would, that means you got to leave your first team offensive line out there because you don't want to put your franchise quarterback, your new franchise quarterback behind a backup offensive line. And beyond that, that you also have to play him with his best receivers because there's no point in having him out there unless he's building chemistry with those receivers. You know, there is an argument to be made, I think, that you want to see him as something simulating live game action and preseason does that better than training camp. But, you know, how much would it really mean if he goes goes out there and plays great against backups? You know, I, I don't know. So I feel like you, I don't think that there's any reason to play him beyond what you normally would, which my guess would be probably, you know, into the, maybe into the second quarter of the first preseason game, maybe into the third quarter in the second preseason game, and then maybe a series if that in the preseason finale that would be my guess I don't see any great need to extend them though because you know I I was thinking this through and this was a really good question because it really made me think this through but if 
it, again, like I understand the idea that, you know, it's different when you have guys, you know, 300 pound guys bearing down on you who can actually hit you. But if it was that essential in training your quarterbacks, they would allow it in training camp and they don't right now. And I think the reason for that is that it's more important to keep the quarterback healthy. And again, it's not as difficult to simulate this. You know, I talked on, I talked the other day on this show about how there's virtually no overlap between what they do in training camp on special teams from the way the play well, the way you can expect the player to perform you know the kicking game training camp practices field goal attempts really are useless in training camp practices return drills are kind of useless in training camp practices the passing game is not useless i think the more you get on the perimeter the more you can simulate action because it's not you know there, there's a lot of overlap there. So I think the Jets can trade in Wilson well, you know, even in relative absence of preseason games. And, you know, look, I mean, I, I know that every player is different, but there was no preseason last year. Justin Herbert played pretty well as a rookie. So we know for a fact that you don't necess- you, don't, you don't definitively need preseason reps to, to go out and play well. And I understand every player is different, and I understand there were some other rookie quarterbacks last year, you know, like Tua, who had no preseason and did not play so well. But, you know, I, I'm not that worried about what's... I, my biggest concern with Zach Wilson in preseason is staying healthy. And that's just my, my view in general. I think the results from preseason tend to be kind of overhyped. To me, a successful preseason game is when your entire team suffers no key injuries. Anyway, that's all for our show today. Thank you for listening. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, if you enjoy the show, subscribe to it and leave it a good review. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow to talk more Jets.